Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm glad you all made it here on this New Year's Eve, and I'm grateful for you at home watching, uh, because you also get to experience and enjoy my sermon this morning. Well, at least I I hope that's what's going to happen. But New Year's Eve is a great time to be in church, because on New Year's Eve is a good time for to look back at this past year we are just now finishing up. And all the good and the bad things that happened this year. We can think about what our expectations were for this past year. Because we all had hopes for the 2023. Um, some of them happened, some of them didn't. And this is also time to look forward to 2024, the new year coming. We can think about our expectations for this next year. You know, we all, you may have your list of resolutions. You may have things you hope will happen this year. You're planning on happen this year. We all have various expectations for the new year. But expectations is something odd and strange. Because quite often, our expectations get met in a way we don't expect. Um, for example, us as parents, if any of you are a parent in here, you know, one of our expectations as parents we spent year after year raising our kids up, watching them grow. We're teaching them. We're helping them mature. So one day, they will move out of our house. We take all that time, all the energy, all the effort. So one day, they can be mature, responsible adults who will move out of our house. Uh, you may be aware that I am a father. I have three kids. My youngest, not smallest, is here with us today. But my oldest, he is 21. He has graduated high school. He went off to trade school. He became an electrician. He now has a decent job, making decent money, but he's still living in my house. (laughs) It may seem like my expectations were not met, but actually, they were met in a wonderful, better way. Because a while back, we were talking. I was sharing him my hopes and my dreams, my plans for the future. And I was telling him, you know, when I finish with school, because I'll get my master's degree this May, praise Jesus, I will be done. Um, after I graduate, I'm ready to move out of this house. I've been in the house for a long time. I'm ready to move to a new place. So as we were talking, I could tell he was thinking. I can see the wheels turning. And he says, Dad, you know what? I like this house. I grew up in this house. I'm very comfortable in this house. Why don't I just buy the house from you? So then I started thinking, like, well, you know what? If I sell the house to him, I don't really have to clean it up because <laughs> most of the messes were his anyways. I don't have to fix it up because, well, he broke most of the stuff. I don't have to deal with realtors or find somebody to buy it. Yeah, yes, son, yes, I will gladly sell you the house. So we all have expectations. But they always don't get met how we expect them to be met. Well, in this Bible story I'm going to go through, there are several groups in the story, and all of them had various expectations. Some of their expectations were met. Some of the expectations were exceeded. Some expectations were denied. Some had new expectations thrust upon them. They all had various expectations. I'm going to be reading uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. It's probably a story most of you have heard before. It's a very common story. But as I read it, I want you guys to be listening. Listen for all the expectations and and if they were met and if they were how they were met or what happened to their expectations. Okay, so Matthew chapter 14, 
verses 13 through 21. It says, When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowd followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. And I always lose my place when I do that. Um, (laughs) um, He gave thanks and broke the bread. Uh, He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They ate ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So did you see it? Did you hear it? Did you notice all the expectations in there? Everybody had their own expectations they brought that day. Did you? Okay, well, let's uh, go through there in case you missed something. Let's start with Jesus. Jesus is always a good place to start. We'll start with him. What was Jesus' expectations? Well, if we look back to the beginning of the passage, it said that he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So it seemed like Jesus just wanted some time alone. He wanted to be by himself, maybe with his disciples, just some time alone. But why? Why was Jesus wanting this alone time? Well, it starts with when he heard what had happened. So it raises another question. What happened? What did Jesus hear that made him want to get some alone time? Well, the, previously in, the, in that chapter, Matthew tells a story about how John the Baptist was killed. If you're not familiar with who the John the Baptist is, uh, he was a minister of God, a fellow preacher. He went around preaching that, you know, the kingdom of God was near. You need to repent. He was baptizing people. But he was more than that. He was also one of Jesus' relatives. Some say he may have even been a cousin. So Jesus had just learned a relative had been killed. A fellow minister of God had died. So naturally, he wanted some time alone. He wanted some time of mourning, a a, a time to grieve in peace and quiet. That seemed to be his expectation. Was his expectation filled? No, no. Because when he got to shore, there was a crowd of people there. You know... When I need my time of quiet, I need a time to be alone and be quiet, and it doesn't happen, I may not be the most pleasant, I may not be the most pleasing person in the world, but did you catch what Jesus did when his expectations were not met? When this crowd was interrupting his time of mourning and grieving, Jesus had compassion on the people. On what was probably one of the worst days of his life, when his family member was killed, he had compassion on others. Wow. Now that is a savior I could follow. 
that could make a great sermon. But that's not this sermon, no. Um, but how about the disciples? What were the disciples' expectations? In the middle there, you see the disciples, when Jesus ascended the crowd away, the disciples saw that this crowd was hungry, maybe getting a little hangry, I don't know. But the crowd was getting hungry. They'd been there all day. They needed food. And the disciples knew they didn't have food to feed them. It's like, Jesus, send them away. Let them get their own food. Were their expectations met? No, no. Something worse happened. Jesus thrusted his own expectations upon them. Imagine this for a minute. You're one of those disciples. You, you see this large, hungry crowd. You say, Jesus, let's send them home. And Jesus turns to you. And he says, you feed them. So Jesus, you know, it's Jesus. He's telling you to do this. You can't tell Jesus no because, well, he's Jesus. Um, so you try. You try your best. You go out and you look for food. Uh, one of the other gospels tells us there was a small boy there who gave up his lunch, his, the five loaves and two fish that he had. That was all the disciples could find with their best efforts. So they took their best efforts and they brought it to Jesus. And Jesus took their best efforts, and he multiplied it and did something miraculous with it. Wow, that could make a great sermon. We do our best, we bring it to Jesus, and watch what he does with it. That would make an excellent sermon. That's not this sermon, no. No, no, for this sermon, we're going to look at the one group in that story that not only had their expectations met, but also had their expectations exceeded. We're going to take a look at them and see if there's anything we can learn from them to see if maybe, maybe there's a way we can have our expectations not only met, but exceeded. And that, of course, is the crowd. Because the crowd showed up, you know, expecting to hear Jesus preach, teach, and heal their sick. And they got that. But then they got more. Because they got to see Jesus do an amazing miracle. A miracle so amazing, it's the only miracle during Jesus' ministry that's recorded in all four Gospels. That's what they got to see. That's how their expectations were blown away. So let's take a look at this crowd and see what they did. Well, the first thing they did was they pursued Jesus. They literally pursued him. They saw him get on this boat and sail across the sea, so they ran around the sea to meet Jesus. I did my research and I found that the distance around that sea was around 8 to 10 miles. Now, how many of you here have ever ran 8 to 10 miles? I can tell you a fact that I have not. <laughs> I did do a 10K once. It's a little more than 6 miles. I finished it. It's hard to say that I ran it. Uh, but I did finish it. I had the sore muscles the next day to prove that I did actually do it. Uh, but these people, they ran 8 to 10 miles just to be near Jesus. Now imagine this again for me. You are on that boat, sailing across the sea, and you look on the shore from where you left. You see a few people starting to run. And as they go from town to town, more and more join them. This crowd keeps growing and growing and growing until you land. And there's this massive crowd waiting for you. And you marvel but what all they did, the effort they put in just to be near Jesus. Wow, that passion, that energy, the effort they did to run all that way to try to beat a boat across the lake just to be near Jesus. 
But why? Why did they do that? Why did they put forth all that effort, drop whatever they were doing that day just to be near Jesus? Well, it's hard to understand people's motivations, but we can make some guesses. We can assume that they, you know, when they're sick, healed, because they dragged them around that lake eight to ten miles to Jesus, because Jesus healed them. So obviously, they wanted their sick healed. And we can assume they wanted to hear Jesus teach, because if you're going to Jesus, you're going to hear him preach. So we can say they assume they wanted Jesus to preach to them, and he wanted Jesus to heal their sick. Um, but how about us? Why should we want to follow Jesus? Why should we put the energy effort into pursuing Jesus? I hope we're the same reasons that crowd did. I hope we want to come near Jesus to hear him teach to us. See what he has to say to us. And I hope we want Jesus to heal us in our lives. Whether it's a physical illness, an emotional, a relation. I hope we want Jesus to heal whatever is going on in our lives. Or maybe... We see his compassion. And on the worst day, he had compassion on others. Maybe we want to pursue him because of his compassion. Or maybe it's for his grace or his forgiveness or his comfort, fellowship, wisdom, understanding, salvation, or love. We have lots of reasons why we should want to pursue Jesus. Okay, I want to pause for a minute, take a little sidetrack. I want to take a look at those people who didn't pursue Jesus. Because, yes, there was 5,000 men besides women and children in the crowd that day. But uh, according to the historian Josephus, the average size of a town in that area in that day had about 25,000 people. And there were multiple towns. So this crowd that showed up was only a small percentage of the available people who could have pursued Jesus that day. Who could have came and saw Jesus preach and teach and do his miracles. Why didn't those people come too? Surely they heard the commotion. They saw this crowd forming. Why didn't they join in? They could have had many reasons. Maybe, maybe they had seen Jesus teach before. They'd seen him do miracles. They had been there. They'd done that. They see that. They thought Jesus was great. They thought he was amazing. But, you know, they've already seen that. Or maybe, maybe, maybe they were busy. They were just really, really busy that day. You know, they have work to do. They have kids they got to take care of. They have these obligations. They have all these things they need to do. They just don't have the time to pursue him. Or maybe it was just a bad day. Maybe they were sick that day. Maybe they were depressed. Maybe they just didn't have the motivation to do much. Maybe it was just a bad day for them and they didn't go. But whatever reason they didn't pursue Jesus that day, because they didn't pursue him, they missed out on seeing Jesus do miraculous things. They missed out on him teaching. They missed out on this amazing miracle because they didn't pursue Jesus. I'm sure if you had asked most of them later, you know, about why they didn't pursue Jesus, they would have had their reasons. They could have told you what it was. But they probably also would admit that they regretted not pursuing Jesus because they missed out on something amazing and something miraculous. They missed out on all these great expectations because they didn't pursue Jesus. So why don't we pursue Jesus? Well, I stand here before all of you now and in front of this camera recording it for all time. Um, that I myself am a lazy person. I know it's hard to believe. 
I have a couple uh, co-workers here. You could talk to them, and they will happily tell you how I can be lazy at work. Or if you stop by my house, you can see that, yes, I can get lazy in my housekeeping. Or you can talk to my son that's here. He can tell you how I can be lazy in my parenting and how he also takes advantage of it. Um, I can also be lazy in friendships and relationships. Yes, I can be a lazy person in basically every area of my life. But what's the saddest thing is, I can be lazy in my pursuit of Jesus too. I love Jesus. I love him passionately. I love him deeply. But I know I do not pursue him like I can or I should or I want to. And I also know because I don't pursue him like I should or I can, I have missed out on things. There probably were things God wanted to do in my life that didn't happen because I wouldn't pursue him. I was lazy. I didn't get up and run after him like the crowd did. Because I didn't pursue him, who knows what I've missed out on. So that brings me to another question. How? How do we pursue Jesus? You know, unlike the crowd, we don't have Jesus physically here with us where we can run after him. So how do we pursue Jesus? Well, you were all here today in church. You got up, you got dressed, I hope you showered, and you came here to church. Or you're watching online. That could be a way to pursue Jesus if your heart's right. I mean, because if you're here to check off a box, say, I did my duty, I want to have this good appearance that I am a good Christian. So yes, I'm in church. If that's why you're here, that's not pursuing Jesus. But if you are here today because you want to draw near to God, you want to learn from Jesus, you want to allow Jesus to come in your life and change it and make it better, if that is why you're here today, yes, you have all started pursuing Jesus here today. But how about when you leave? Do you pursue Jesus the rest of the week? Do you take time to open up a Bible, a physical one, a digital one, whatever? Do you take time to read your Bible during the week and learn God's word? Do you take time to pray? You know, people are quick to say, you know, Christianity, it's a relationship, it's not a religion. But how can you have a relationship with somebody you don't even talk to? Do you take time to pursue Jesus through prayer during the week? Or or how about just talking to other Christians? Hearing their words of wisdom and understanding, learning from them. Can you pursue Jesus that way? Or do you pursue Jesus even through your actions? By choosing to treat others with love and compassion. Do you pursue Jesus by how you act during the week? How you interact with others? The choices you make. Do you allow your choices to help you draw closer to Jesus? Or do your choices bring you further from him? How do you pursue pursue Jesus? Well, this is New Year's Eve. Many of you may have a list of New Year's resolutions. But even if you don't, because, well, I never do. But if you have a list or don't, you can make a new list. You can make a list of ways you want to pursue Jesus. What can you do in this next year to actually pursue Jesus more? It can be renewing what you have done with more emphasis and more urgency and more regularity. Or whatever you think is best. We all have our own relationship with Jesus. We all have our ways we can draw near to Jesus. You can do something I suggested, or you have your own ways of pursuing Jesus. But this crowd, they pursued Jesus, but that's not the only thing they did. 
once they pursue Jesus, then it is something that's amazing, something that's wonderful, something that's glorious, but something that's difficult and hard, even though it is essentially easy. Because once they pursued Jesus, the next thing they did was they paused with Jesus. They ran all the way to Jesus, but once they got there, Jesus told them to sit, and they sat, and they listened. They got to hear his teaching. They got to see him perform his miracles. They had to do nothing. They just got to sit and rest and watch Jesus be Jesus. That's something so easy and so wonderful, but yet can be very difficult for us. Because much of this American culture says, if you want something, you have to work for it. And if you work hard enough for it, you can get it. And for the most part, that is basically true. But who says we have to be the only ones working for it? We can pause, let Jesus be Jesus, rest, and let him do some of the work for us. You know, the rest of the world is catching up with these teachings of the Bible. Because now you hear about these mental health breaks, you know, where we get time to rest and reset our, our mentality and give our minds a break. We, the rest of the world is realizing how important it is for us to be able to rest. But that's something that God has done from the beginning. God wants us to rest. He has told us that all throughout. He wants to sit. He wants us to rest. He wants us to not worry. He leads us to those still waters and expects us to rest. God wants us to rest. Doing nothing is not a bad thing. You know, we pursue Jesus with energy and effort. But once we've done that, once we get near to Jesus, we need that time of rest. The time to pause. To sit and watch Jesus be Jesus. But how long should we pause? How long should that pause last? Well, in the story, they paused until, well, Jesus told them to go home. So the short, easy, and complicated answer is we pause until Jesus says we're done. Uh, for example, if you're in a time of prayer, you are praying to Jesus, you are pursuing Jesus through prayer, when you get done, we can pause. We can stop talking and see if Jesus has anything to say to us. And sometimes he may. He may have something he wants to tell you. Maybe he wants to give you some encouragement, some support, or maybe a rebuke. Who knows? But Jesus may tell you something. You may hear it in your heart and your spirit. Sometimes he may not. You may sit there for a while. You may not hear anything. But there will come a time when you know, my time of pausing is done. Jesus is done with me. I can get up and go about my business. Or if you're reading your Bible, you're reading your Bible, you study your Bible. Once you're done reading what you're going to read that day, you can pause. You can reflect on what you read. You can think about it. See if it applies to your life. And you can listen. See if something God wants to reveal to you from what you just read. Maybe he will. And if he does, when he's done speaking, your pausing is done. If he doesn't, you pause for a while. Eventually, you know, you should know. Your pausing is done. Or maybe you're just having a conversation with somebody, a good, wise, mature Christian person. And they are sharing their words of wisdom. And you are listening and you are soaking it in. When that conversation is done, your time of pausing is done. The conversation is done. You can move on. Or if you want something a bit more concrete, how about the Sabbath day? God has given us one day every week where we are supposed to rest. But it's not just time to rest. 
Because God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's more than just taking naps and watching football. It's a time where we are pausing with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to watch Jesus, see Jesus be Jesus. And when that 24-hour period is done, hey, our pausing's done. Or, or the hardest way we can pause. It's difficult, and God knows it's difficult for us. That's why he has commanded so many times throughout the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, again and again, he has commanded us to do this. But it's the most difficult thing for us to do. Because he has commanded us to not worry. When you are pausing with Jesus, you are watching Jesus, you are focused on Jesus, you shouldn't be worrying. But that's difficult. Because just like most of you, I also am an expert at worrying. I know how to worry. I'm great at worrying. I know some of you are supreme grandmasters at worrying. I'm not quite to that level. But, you know, we all worry. And God knows it. And he doesn't want us to worry. Because we have a God who's in control. We can pursue him. We can pause with him. We can watch him do his thing, his miraculous thing. And it's amazing. So this crowd, they did two amazing things. They pursued Jesus, and then they paused with Jesus. But then, then they did something they shouldn't do. Because then uh, they decided to push Jesus. They wanted to push Jesus for what they wanted. Uh, for this, I actually need to switch over to the Gospel of John. Because as all four Gospels talk about this story, this miracle. And John, he adds a little bit more to the end of it. After Jesus did his miracle, after he fed the 5,000, uh, he adds us a little bit more that Matthew didn't. So we're going to read John chapter 6, just verses 14 and 15. Uh, this says, After the people saw the sign Jesus, Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who came into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So now these people had a new expectation. They expected Jesus to be king, and they were going to make it happen. They wanted to push Jesus to doing what they wanted. Um, and this is something we all have a problem with. We have what we want, and we push for what we want, but we should be pausing with Jesus and letting Jesus do his thing. But we all want so many things, and they all seem very good. But I want to make something clear first of all. Misunderstanding what God's will is not the problem. God is so big, so wonderful, so amazing. He is bigger than we can comprehend or understand. So therefore, there's no way we can fully understand God's will and know what God's will is. So misunderstanding God's will is not the problem here. The problem was they were pushing for their own will. They wanted to make Jesus king. And they were willing to do it by force. No matter if Jesus wanted to or the king wanted to. They wanted Jesus to be king so they were going to make it happen. Because that's what they wanted. That is the problem here. When we push Jesus to do things we want. But a lot of those things we want seem to be good. You know, the crowd wanted Jesus to be king. Well, Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Of course he should be king. I've been told since I was little that he should be the king of my life. So making him king seems like a great thing. How can that possibly be bad? It's bad because they didn't bother to ask Jesus what he wanted. 
how he wanted to do it. And we run into the same problems in our own lives. We want things that seem to us to be great. They seem to be good. Maybe, maybe we're up for a promotion at work. And we think, surely God would want me to have this promotion. Because if I got this promotion, think of all the good I can do in this company. I can run this company with good Christian morals and perspective. I can do great things in this company. Oh, and with the pay raise, think of all that good I can do with that extra money. All the extra tithes and offerings I can do. Surely God would want me to have this promotion. So we push and we push and we push for this promotion. Or, or maybe, maybe, you know, we have kids and we want our kids to be perfect kids. So we push and we push and we push our kids to be perfect kids. Or, or maybe we look at ourselves and we push at ourselves to be perfect parents. Because how could God not want me to be a perfect parent? So we push ourselves and we push ourselves to be perfect parents. Two quick things on that. One, our definition of perfect and God's definition of perfect may be very, very, very different. And two, it is our job to do our best and let God do the rest. We do our best. We want our kids to do our best. We teach and train our kids to do the best. And we trust God to take care of it. So we shouldn't be pushing so very hard for ourselves or our kids to be so perfect. Because that may not, our definition of perfect may not be God's. And we could be pushing for something God may not want. Or how about, how about good health? Maybe we're pushing for good health. Good health for ourselves or a family member or a loved one. We are pushing and pushing for this good health. Because sure, Godly knows how young they are or how good they are or all the good things they could be doing if they were just healthy. So we push and we push and we push for good health. Or, or maybe we are pushing for good relationships. Maybe in our marriage or with family or with friends. You know, surely, surely, God wants us to have these perfect relationships. So we push and we push and we push for all these things that we think are so good. We think they are God honor. We think they're what God wants. But when we push for what we want, instead of letting Jesus do what he wants, that causes problems. Did you see in John there what happened when the people started pushing for what they want? Jesus knew that he, they wanted to push him to be king. So Jesus withdrew to a mountain by himself. As soon as they started pushing for their will, Jesus went and did his own thing. And that can happen in our lives too. We push for what we want. And suddenly it feels like God's not as close anymore. So we keep pushing and God still seems far away. And because God feels far away, it feels like he doesn't love us. It feels like he doesn't care about us anymore. So maybe we don't pursue him as much. Maybe we don't pause as much because we're not feeling loved, which creates a vicious cycle. The more we push, the further away God seems and the less we pursue him. And eventually people even stop following Jesus. I mean, it's in the Bible too, because in Matthew, Jesus did this, fed a crowd of 5,000. In the very next chapter, he did a very similar miracle, but this time there's only 4,000. What happened to the extra thousand people? Maybe they stopped following him because Jesus didn't do what they thought he should do. Or think about your lives. Maybe you know somebody, a family member, a coworker, a friend, who stopped following Jesus because Jesus wouldn't do what they wanted. It's like they said, if God really exists, he would have done this. 
Since God didn't do this, God didn't meet this need, God didn't do what I thought he should do, I'm no longer going to follow him. I'm going to no longer believe him because Jesus didn't do my will. It's a vicious cycle that causes problems. That's the danger of pushing for our will. It brings us further and further away from God. So we sit here on New Year's Eve, right before a whole new year. And we're looking forward to next year, hopefully have many, many good things coming. What expectations do you have for this new year? You know, this we all know the next year will be full of many ups and many downs. Many good things and bad things. But I hope a year from now, two years from now, ten years from now, whatever it is, we look back on 2024. We may think it's our best year. We may think it's our worst year. But if we spend this year pursuing Jesus with great energy and effort, and if we pause with Jesus and let him do his will, and if we somehow avoid pushing for what we want, when we look at 2024, we'll see the good and the bad. But we should also see many times where Jesus came in our lives and he did things we could not even expect would happen. He could blow away our expectations. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but we will see times in this year where Jesus not only meets our expectations, but blows them away. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. You are a great God. You are a glorious God. We love you so very much. Help us always to pursue you with all that we have. Help us to desire greatly to be near you and around you. Help us to want nothing more. Help us remember to do it daily, all the time, to desperately pursue you. And help us to make the time to pause Enjoy being your presence. Help us to see all that you are doing in our lives. And help us not to push for what we want. Help us to keep our will in check. And help us just to marvel in all that you do. Amen. Well, now we are coming to the time in our service where we are going to take communion. Communion is a great time to pause with Jesus. We just pursue Jesus through the sermon as we try to go close to him, we try to learn about him, we try to get to know him, but now is our time of pausing where we take communion. Communion is open to everybody who has accepted Jesus, been baptized him. We all take a minute to pause, reflect on the greatest thing Jesus ever did for us. The thing that blew away all of our expectations when he sacrificed himself on that cross for our sins, offered us that gift of grace and forgiveness. It's a time when we pause and enjoy his presence. In the communion tray, there are two cups, one with bread, one with the juice. As it comes by, take out your cup, and we'll take communion together as a family. Let's pray for communion. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his gift. We thank you for the many things he's done in our lives. We know we don't deserve it. We know we can never earn it. We thank you so much for all you've always done for us. Amen. This is his body broken for us. This is his blood poured out for us.
Well, once again, I'd like to thank all of you for coming here this week and putting up with me. Don't worry, Steve will be back next week where he gets to try to undo all the damage that I did. Um, uh, but if you're here today, you want somebody to talk to or somebody to pray with, we will have some elders over here in the overflow area. They'll be more than happy to talk to you. Um, but I hope to see you all back again next week where we start off a brand new year. Good job. Thank you, Jesse. Will you stand as we uh, sing one last song together as we go? And uh, just a heads up, I'm keeping you for the entire song. 